Uh, I'm preaching today on, on rest. Um, just on time constraints, I'll probably preach some of what I had. I'm just going to go for what I've got, and then you know, we'll still finish around 12.15. Um, I want to talk to you about rest. It's something that God's been speaking to me about over the last few months, and, uh, and something that's just been resting on my heart. Um, I'm not wanting to just talk today about uh, about kind of natural rest, about you know just just taking a break. Although yes, that is important. Um, we live in a in a very busy age. Um, working hard is highly regarded. That's probably rightly it, it should be, but sometimes I don't think the right um, uh, value is also put on rest. You know, if you're applying for a job, you might put on your CV, you know, I'm hard working. People, you know, employers will go, yes, good, that's the kind of person we want. I don't, I, you know, at the practice we employ people, I don't get many people on their CVs that have thought, I'm great at resting. I could rest for England. <laughs> in fact, if you put the phrase rest time into your search engine, um, the top result that you get is how long should you rest between bursts of exercise, which is just nuts, isn't it? The concept of rest time only being able to use as a tool to enable us to work harder. Somehow that's a bit twisted. There's a status to being busy, isn't there? You know, if anyone asks you if you're busy, have you ever said no? Of course I'm busy. My time is very important. I'm very busy. I make the most of every second. And believe me, I'm not, I'm not against working hard. I value that. I value being conscientious in what we do, putting the time in. You know, Ephesians 5 tells us to make the most of our time. Yet we're also instructed to talk about rest, and the Bible places a value on this. But I want to talk about, about spiritual rest, and in actual fact how our status as Christians involves resting in Christ and in his goodness in all, the, all that he's done for us. So, first of all, what does it mean to rest? Who's the first recorded person in history to rest? Good, good, good. The Sunday school answer is right. Yes. <laughs> God is the first person who rested. It says, on, you know, made the world. On the seventh day, he rested. Let me ask you a simple but rhetorical question. Do you think it's because he was tired? No. Okay. God is all-powerful, all-sufficient. He doesn't get tired. He has limitless reserves doesn't wear himself out. He made the world just by speaking, just by saying a word. It wasn't hard for him. He rested by choice, not out of necessity. That makes sense. God rested. He regarded what he had done. For God, the rest was declaring that the work is finished, and then he rested. He took time to regard what he had, had made in the earth, and he declared it to be good. Rest for God was actually, in fact, a completion of work, a declaration of goodness, and in actual fact, a choice. And also an example to us and to his people. So, therefore, if God rested, there must be more to our rest than just taking a breast, uh, a Taking a breast, that would be weird. Oh, that's not a good one to miss, say, is it? <laughs> ah, it's going on podcast as well, isn't it? 
Let's have that as a soundbite. <laughs> and just taking a rest because we're tired. God rested because what he had done was complete. Yes? He wasn't worn out. He was finished working. And God therefore established a pattern um, which he confirmed in his law, in his Israelites, um, in the form of the Sabbath. If we can have up Exodus 20. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God rested. He he set an example and he set a pattern. And he actually enshrined this rest as a holy part of the lifestyle of his people. He didn't just say that, you know, remember the Sabbath because you might be a bit tired. Although that's part of it, there is a practical wisdom in that as well. Okay? You, physically, human beings cannot go flat out, day in, day out. So there is, a, uh, there is a physical rest. But this was to be a holy day. This was remembering God's work. Because in fact, it lays the creation story within that setting and it lays God's rest within that principle. Um, this is a way of remembering what God had done and also a way of stopping just constant striving and of acknowledging God. And also a way of recognizing his provision. You see, this command was given predominantly to within an agricultural setting in the ancient Near East. You know, the people were generally farmers. And so farming was the way of life. Working hard was expected. And if you didn't work your land well, you might not expect to eat. So this concept of, right, where you have a whole day where you don't do anything to your land, that looks actually sometimes slightly a slightly risky way of doing it. But in this context, God made sure that his people rested. And in actual fact, it was more than just a, a day off a week because there was a concept of the Sabbath year as well. It's quite important. Every seven years, there's a Sabbath year when the people were commanded that they shouldn't sow any crops and let the land rest. And this was a test of faith. Really, that is. Because what do you do as a subsistence farmer if you haven't planted anything? How do you eat? Well, you trust in God's provision. And you rest. And you enjoy his blessing. And God made promises reflected of that. Leviticus 25 addresses this and the promise. It says, But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crop comes in. God wanted his people to know that they could rest and that he would still provide for them. He wanted them to know that that if they trusted in him, he would display his goodness to them and that his provision is all sufficient. And also, very much, he wanted them to know that if they put their faith in him and they were obedient, 
They wouldn't have to rely on their own work. Their lives would not be dependent on their own efforts in that year, but on the blessing of God. And I hope you can see where I'm going with this. <laughs> okay. Because this foreshadowed our salvation. We've got this Old Testament pattern where God says every seven years, you rest. You don't have to work and I take care of it. And even though it looks like you might starve or that you're going to have nothing, you trust because my provision is greater and my grace is sufficient for that. This is only in the Old Covenant. This is the Old Testament. What we have now is so much better because we live in the New Covenant that was brought in by Jesus. We have miraculous provision for our whole life through Jesus because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's something that he declared. He is Lord of rest and he invites you into that rest. And he invites us into a spiritual rest. If you turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. 1 to 11. I'll read it out. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. If they did, it's talking about people in the Old Testament, people before Christ. And the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who, those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. This passage talks about the opportunity to enter God's rest, his salvation, and it gives some example. I'll probably skirt over the, well, the first seven verses. Um, briefly, kind of verses one to eight talk about the Old Testament and how it wasn't revealed fully for example it gives the you know in verse 8 joshua didn't lead people fully into the rest that god had planned because there were better things to come therefore god planned another day and he planned to send his son jesus there was another day there remained that sabbath rest for the people of god to enter in and we now all have that opportunity and if you're a christian you have taken that opportunity because jesus made the way for us to enter god's rest Jesus is our route to salvation. And Jesus does it all so that we don't have to. And this passage draws the parallel between God's creation work and his rest and Jesus' salvation work and our rest. God made the world, he completed his work, he declared it to be good, and he rested. Jesus 
died on the cross. He completed his work. He declares you to be good. And now you get to rest. I'm going to say that again, just because it's important we get this. So here's the parallel. God made the world, completed the work, says this is good. And then he rested. Jesus died on the cross. He completed his work and he completed the work for you. And he declares you to be good. And now we get to rest in all of his goodness. And there is no striving. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And that's not just his work, because we are in Christ. That's your work too. It is finished. Everything that needed to be done for your salvation was accomplished on the cross. There's been a wonderful sense of that in our worship this morning, of just the sheer dependence on the blood of Jesus and the blessings that we get to enjoy as a result of that. The work is done. The result is good. You are now good. God looks on you and says, you are good, you can rest in my presence. Because we're not saved by working hard, we are saved by the achievement of Jesus. We get to rest in all of that goodness, there is no striving. This is a free deal, there is nothing that you can do to be saved, but when you take on the goodness of Jesus, there is nothing you need to do to be saved, because Jesus has done it all, and all that he asks of you, very simply, is that you come and you rest. And you rest in his goodness. And it does, it does put this, um, this passage puts it in that strange, uh, that strange almost contrast of, of being diligent to enter that rest. Of, of strive, in that one passage, strive to enter that rest, because you can, people can miss it. Because, in fact, this, is, this passage isn't telling us to be completely passive, of saying, well, I don't need to do a thing the rest of my life. Jesus is taking care of it. Because it's difficult because there's some truth in that. Because whenever you teach grace properly, it sounds dangerous. Because it's outrageous. Because they, people go, well, no, it can't be like that. No, it is. It can't be that simple that I don't have to do anything. Yes, it is, because Jesus did it all for you. But you have to take the decision that I'm going to go in there, I'm going to go into the holy presence of God, and I'm going to rest. Okay? Because, in fact, if you do nothing, if you never accept that gift that's given to you, you remain outside of that rest. Right? You still have to make the decision to go in, but there's no striving to get there. Because Jesus has done that work. We must always keep this at the forefront of our thinking. This must always dominate our thoughts. And we must always remember that we are not saved by works. And I know probably within this context, we're probably fairly, fairly good on, on that side of things. You know, we're, that we're not saved by, by good works or by works of service or by religious ceremony or by relics or by paying our way or anything like that. But we must also remember exactly, always keep the cross at the forefront of our thinking as to how we're saved. Because also, we're not saved by worship or by soaking or performing the miraculous. You're not saved by prophecy or by healing. Those are things that you get to do because you are saved. 
Those things don't make you any more holy. You do those because you are holy. We must always have that. that okay, the marker of being righteous is not what we do, it is Jesus. That is the standard. I'm going to talk about this more some other week. But I want to say, this doesn't make Jesus a... This doesn't make our faith passive. Because, in actual fact... We get to enjoy all the goodness that he has for us. If you just put out the, the verse from Matthew 11:28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We've taken advantage of that, and now you get to live in it. Right? Once you're in, you don't just sit around and go, Well, I, I, I just get to rest, so I'm not going to enjoy any of the goodness that comes from that. That would be ridiculous. If I give you an example... Uh, if I, so, so, Dave Foggin, if I gave you free tickets to Disneyland, and actually I give you an infinite supply of free tickets to Disneyland, you get in through the gate, Dave is not going to sit there and go, oh good, that's free, I'm just going to sit here and take it easy. No, he's going to go off exploring. He's going to go out into all the goodness that has been bought for him. He's not going to say, right, well, I rest, it's free, I don't need to do anything. He doesn't need to do anything in Disneyland, but unless he's daft, he's going to Space Mountain. <laughs> <All right. laughs> we get to come in, we ha- get to rest, you get there by rest, you don't have to do anything to get in, but once you're in, the possibilities are endless. And in actual fact, you are then commanded to share this with the world, because if Dave has an infinite supply of free tickets to Disneyland, he's going to be sharing those with his friends. He's going to be going out saying, this is the greatest deal that has ever been. You can go to Disneyland for free. You don't have to do anything that get in other than accept this. Because this verse, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. This is not primarily aimed at tired Christians. This is, the, this is Jesus' message to the world. Because... Without Jesus, the whole world is weary and it is burdened. It is weary from trying to live up to a standard that it can never achieve. And it is burdened by the weight of sin. And Jesus says, I take all of that, come and rest. All of us, you know, without Jesus, we don't even live up to our own standards. I I feel I've let myself down every day. That's my standard. That's not God's perfect standard. That's just the standard of Dave. I don't live up to it. (laughs) The world actually knows this. The world knows actual fact that it never... People, even without Jesus, they, they, they know everyone has that sense that they've fallen short and that burden of sin... And our message is not one of condemnation, of going out and saying, you're falling short, you're falling short. Your message is to go out and say, you can be free of that. There's Jesus. He can take that burden. He can take it away and he can take it entirely. Because the verse doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you a hand with some of it. He doesn't just offer to help you along the way. That's religion. That's the kind of the halfway house of saying, well, you come to God, he'll take some of it, the rest of it is up to you to take care of. No, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's, what, that's the goodness of God that we can proclaim to the world, of saying, there is freedom from this, 
All your burdens can be gone. You get free tickets to Disneyland. Don't say that literally. Otherwise, you know, the level of expectation on us as a church might, might, might exceed some of our financial requirements. <laughs> but actually, your job is to show how exciting it is to be in the kingdom to demonstrate the goodness of God, to be showing people the life to the full that Jesus offered. And the price for that was infinite. The price was paid by Jesus, and the cost to you is nothing. We get to just enter his rest. Stand and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we just stand amazed in your presence. We delight in you. We thank you for that infinite price that you paid, for your blood spilled out, for your goodness to us. And we thank you that you came to us and you took all our burdens. You left none over. You did it all so that we don't have to and that you offer your goodness and a rest from our sins and a rest in your presence. And you offer it for free. And you offer your infinite goodness. And we just want to say we worship you. We give you all the glory. We are so thankful. Let us always remember that and help us just to live in the fullness of that. Help us to be a people that proclaim the wonder of this to the world. To go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Actually, there's something else. I'm just going to pray that over you. Because in everything you do, in actual fact, you don't have to feel that it's a burden. You, you should be ministering, working from a place of rest because you feel with the Holy Spirit. You have the infinite resources of the kingdom. Dad was saying the other day, if you keep pouring water into a glass, once it's full, it starts to overflow. You just keep pouring into that an infinite supply. Eventually, that floods the world. So in all that you're doing, in any form of service, any form of ministry, in any form of evangelism, you don't minister out of your reserves that get drained. You minister out of the overflow of God's goodness because we rest in his presence and we delight in him and his goodness. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill us. Overflow. I pray for an overflow of your goodness now. Lift up your hands. Let's just receive. This is fun. God has invited you into his kingdom. He is invited to share literally good news. This is great news. And he gives you infinite tools to be able to do it. You didn't have to strive to be able to get in. You don't have to strive to be able to live. You live by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3, we don't start by the Spirit and continue by human effort. We live in the presence of God and we live out of a place of rest. I pray for an increased sense of that, for increased anointing and for blessing. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love life of an adventure with you. We thank you for all that you've called us to. Yea, God. Amen.